What's shaking, everybody? You're listening to our first ever special bonus episode of Improv Tabletop, the Fate RPG actual play where we make up everything on the spot. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host and GM, and today I'm joined by... Caleb Anderton. Good to be back, folks. Uh, Evan Peterson. Glad to be here. Uh, Thomas Brower, the old fogey. <laughs> nice. We're, we're glad to have you here, Thomas, even if you are making us a little bit less hip uh, by your presence. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to bring some wisdom, but uh, I think we'll quickly realize that uh, there is no wisdom to be brought by me. So just happy <laughs> to be here, everybody. Well, that might be a little bit debatable. Uh, the reason, so this is our first time hearing Thomas's voice on the podcast here. You will hear more from him eventually in one of our main campaigns. Uh, but the reason why I especially wanted him to be here for this episode, we're going to be doing just like a roundtable discussion, talking about improv, talking about the principles of what makes good improv. And uh, of all of us who were members of Comic Frenzy, our college improv troupe, Thomas has the most experience. He has the most formal improv training out of anybody in this group. So I thought it'd be really good to get his voice and his experience here on this recording here. You know, it's very generous of you to say that uh, I have the most experience. I think it's just because uh, Ned's referring to that's because I was on the troupe the longest. But uh, I think that's because I was what they would consider a super senior. And so because I kept failing my courses, I just had to keep repeating years over and over and over. So, uh, but very kind of you. I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> yeah, no problem. And if you want to hear more of Thomas's dulcet tones, you can hear him as the dungeon master of I Cast Fireball. But we'll, uh, we'll get into that more during the plugs. For now, we're just going to talk about improv. Uh, improv is a deceptively complex art form. Uh, you look at it and it's like you're just making everything up on the spot as you go along. How hard can it be? But there's a lot of principles that go into making good improv. And that's what we really want to dig into tonight. There are books and books that have been written about this. And so we're going to just talk about some of the things that we've learned and maybe use some examples from our campaigns. So this is your spoiler warning. We'll be talking about stuff that has occurred during our previous few campaigns up to this point. Spoilers. Spoilers. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> we are... So yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. We've each prepared a topic that we're hoping to speak about. And we're just going to dig into what it's all about. So I guess I will start first. What I want to talk about tonight is um, it may seem kind of antithetical because uh, so much of improv is about comedy. Usually when you think improv, you think funny. But one of the most important rules to me of improv is to not try to be funny. And to me, it's, it's a little bit deeper. It kind of goes into what do you hope to get out of improv? So an example that I might use is uh, my last semester before I graduated, I was in a production of a play called You Can't Take It With You. And I've seen that play performed twice uh, prior to that point by the local high school. And it was always kind of like, oh, yeah, this is a fun story. It's got a funny script, you know. But when I got into a college environment with other actors who understood characterization and subtext, and how to add meaning to the show suddenly became, this isn't just a fun story. This is a really deep and emotional story that has a lot of good messages about, you know, what it means to be human. And I think improv is very similar. Like if you go into improv because it's, you know, it's crazy and it's chaotic and funny and LOL random and whatnot, that's probably about as much as you're going to get out of it. 
But if you're engaging with improv because it is an art form that is unique in its ability to combine multiple individuals with their ideas and their experiences into a very honest and very meaningful story, then that's what you're going to get out of improv. And that's the kind of stories that we're hoping to tell here. Uh, we're not hoping to just, you know, go in it for the laughs. We're hoping to, you know, tell real good stories first and foremost. And if the laughs happen along the way, all the better. Yeah, if I could jump in, I just since I haven't been an actor on Improv Tabletop yet, but just being an avid fan and avid listener to all of the campaigns that have gone before, it's I mean, it's just very clear that regardless of the situation, that the story is such a focus for me as a listener. And that is what makes it so enjoyable and makes me want to come back to the next campaign after the characters I have loved and cherished for four weeks. They're they're being retired, so to speak. It makes me want to come back to the next one because that is it's the story seems to be first. And that's what that's what really keeps me coming back from week to week as well. And you you look at, you know, occasionally there are kind of these moments where you're reading like a um, an article about, you know, little known facts about this movie or that movie and Robin Williams being a great example. Did you know that this moment in this Robin Williams movie was completely improvised? And the reason why those moments stand out to us is because Robin Williams is being true to the character and true to the story. And that's what makes it so meaningful in the end. Ned, if I could jump in, I love what you said earlier about uh, you can't take it with you. And just the fact that, yes, it's funny, but there are so many wonderful deep lessons in that play just about life and what it means to be human. And that's really what really draws me to improv in a lot of ways is, I mean, the truth is funny. Real life is funny most of the time, but at the same time, real life can be poignant. And I just love that we've been able to come up with stories that can make you laugh, but also make you feel deeply about a group of guys uh, gallivanting off into the irradiated sunset after a nuclear apocalypse. I, I just think it's it's pretty great. Uh, my wife uh, said that was one of her favorite moments was that we decided not to go back to civilization. And I was like, that was... Uh, heartwarming in the moment and I felt very satisfied but yeah uh, like lots of improv um, you begin somewhere strange and you end somewhere lovely and you don't quite know where in the middle uh, it seemed to flip but it all comes together in this beautiful way yeah and if we'd gone into it with the intent of just being funny then we don't end up with you know Pennysworth McScrooge having this pivotal life-changing moment as he holds this dying quokka in his arms and we don't have a moment with Master Brickathon saying goodbye to his brother and actually making Caleb Anderton, the actor, cry during our recording session. What? No, never. Spoilers. Ned, we don't we don't screen cap for a reason, okay? We don't let these moments out. <laughs> but yeah, to the to the point of, you know, starting in a strange place and ending in a lovely place. If you're just being completely chaotic and completely strange the entire time, like the worlds we're creating are weird enough. Like we live in worlds where it's just normal that dinosaurs speak and bake cakes and where it's just normal that, you know, the president and the prime minister of Canada are having a duel to the death. <laughs> and so in worlds where this is the norm, we don't need to try and make them weirder. We just need to play truthfully in this world that we've created 
and the humor comes from that. Yeah, and I think you act you nailed it on the head, Ned, when you started. Like, uh, we we all have our own opinions, and everybody has strong opinions about improvisational theater that's participated in it before. Uh, and you bring up the point of like, don't try to be funny in improv. You have such creative ideas just in improv tabletop here, and so I think some people confuse that of being like, you always have to be serious. Which, as you stated, doesn't ha- it's not the case. It's just being true to who you are in the situation. It's being true to that your Lego head can turn completely around and that your body <laughs> can you know, rotate 180 degrees without issues. That's not trying to be funny. That's just being true to who you are at that moment. And because that truth is just so prevalent and that commitment from the actors is so there, that's what I think brings the humor is because we go, oh my God, gosh, I forgot that I used to twist my Lego heads all the way to the left or, you know, from or I had flashbacks to the Lego movie, you know, where they did that. Like I could totally see that. And it it brings such authenticity, which makes it funny. I love that distinction. That kind of gives me a throwback to performing on stage with you guys. And um, just the idea of having that live feedback to know what I was doing was getting a laugh helped me realize that if there was a moment when I would think of a bit or a line and then have to wait a couple lines in the scene to interject it. At that moment, usually the moment's passed, my pre-planned bit doesn't fit in as well, and it would fall flat with the audience. And some of the best laughs I ever got on stage was just somebody said something, and I was just trying to think of my character, and I would just say something back so quickly. I, I didn't have time to think, is it funny? Is it? It was just a reaction. Just like, oh, yeah, this is how I would respond to that. And I would say it, and all of a sudden we'd have to pause for 10 seconds to keep the scene going because the entire audience was laughing. And I was like, was that, did I make a joke? I, I just, <laughs> that's just how I reacted to that. I don't, I, I, and mm-hmm. it just brings that all home that it's not about, yeah, I've got a good bit. Yeah, this is really going to knock them dead. It's just in the moment, what is your reaction? And uh, human beings, I feel like uh, when they don't try are generally funny. Uh, I mean, we all obviously know some sticks in the mud, but more often than not, your fellow human beings are going to make you laugh. And like the book that we read every semester in our improv class is called Truth in Comedy. Um, If you want to start getting into improv, read this book. And one of my favorite examples that they use for the idea of you don't have to try and be funny to make people laugh is Leslie Nielsen from the Naked Gun series, from the Airplane movies. He plays it so straight because that's his character's truth. He is, you know, the hard-boiled policeman. And he acts as truthfully as he can with that character. And it's the absurdity of what's happening around him that makes us laugh. Is That drinking problem joke gets me Every single time I created a drinking problem, throws the water right into his eyes, you know, just because he can't, he has a problem. It's just, yeah, exactly. That commitment and that truth of that chaotic and crazy situation, which Improv Tabletop is great at coming up with chaotic and crazy situations, but committing to it is what really makes it fascinating and worthwhile to listen to. The idea that improv doesn't have to be funny, though, is actually... um you know, going away from being funny without trying to just maybe not being funny while improvising. That's actually what made me kind of fall in love with improv. Um, A story I think I've told you guys plenty of times, but I haven't told the world. Uh, I'll tell our podcast listeners. Um, The 
first time I really got exposed to long form improv was at a summer camp uh, that I went to in high school. And they had a guy there who taught improv classes. He was from California. And then he had a few college age kids who were like counselors that worked at the camp. And a few of them were in their like local improv groups. And so they would put on just these little improv performances for anyone who wanted to come during like the free hour. And uh, I would go to them because I thought they were funny. My only exposure to improv up to that point was like, whose line is it anyway, which is very kind of jokey. And one day they did a scene where these guy, these two guys were playing a couple that was on their honeymoon. And then they cut to the girl from the honeymoon couple and a new girl like talking in a hair salon. And they started cutting back and forth between the hair salon and then flashbacks to moments in this relationship as it advanced through honeymoon, being married for a little while, and it eventually, unfortunately, ended in divorce is how the scene went. But by the end, I wasn't laughing like I was at the beginning about two guys playing a guy and girl in love. I was like, haha, that's silly. And by the end, I was like, I am genuinely emotional that I just watched this couple's relationship as they went from honeymoon to divorce. And I came here for a funny improv show. What is improv? What is this art form? How do I learn more about it? Like, this is the most beautiful, like, this is one of the most beautiful piece of arts I've experienced. And what's so beautiful about it is it happened here. No one recorded it and it's never going to happen again. There's no way to record it. There's no way to recreate it. We just all shared this moment. Um, and I immediately was like, I, I need more of this in my life. You know, which is why our product is in Fury, because we do record it. Um, <laughs> no, um, I, I just I just want to make a comment here real quick. I feel kind of self-aggrandizing uh, using all of these examples from our show. Like, we're not trying to claim that we're the best improvisers in the world by any stretch of the imagination. Nope. Uh, but we're just trying to help contextualize this for you guys. You know, we make mistakes. Um Things that maybe we regret doing, like, you know, maybe you regret chopping off somebody's arm during the middle of a baking competition. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's we're, we're just trying to, you know, contextualize. These are the stories that you guys have heard. So these are the examples that we're using for you. Hey, a moderate consequence is a moderate consequence. I mean, you could have cut off his head, <laughs> you know, true. that's true. I mean, you know, you have two arms. <laughs> That's, that's you, pretty much. You didn't seem to regret it much when you chopped my arm off. <laughs> uh, well, I, I hide my emotions well. Anyway, um, uh, any other comments about the idea of truth in comedy, not trying to be funny? I just think it's a great place to start for anyone who wants to get into improv. Uh, when we would run auditions at college, that seemed to almost throw a lot of people off. Um, because a lot of people, it's just one of the most common misconceptions is that everyone's trying to be funny. And that's the number one way to make... Uh, you know, improv kind of gets a bad rap in popular media and pop culture. You can find a joke in almost every sitcom about how insufferable improv shows are. <laughs> and I think that comes from improvisers who try to be funny in their shows. Yeah, not, on, not only that, but it's honestly, uh, I mean, the third time I went through my senior year in college, I I had this uh, realization <laughs> that, you know, it really takes a lot of stress off of the improver itself, the, themselves, like, and a lot of anxiety. A lot of people are like, I can never do that. I can never think of something on the fly well yeah when you're when you have a goal and you're trying to be funny and you're trying to hit this specific funny bone then yeah of course you're going to be stressed of course it's going to be nerve-wracking this is why singing games terrify me because you have to fit a specific formula or like rhyming games have to uh, terrify me as well um, why i can never do a poetry slam like some of us can so uh, that, that's but... a generous term for it <laughs> 
<laughs> but you know, like if you if you're not trying to be funny, if you're just trying to be true to who you are, uh, who you are, who your character is, it takes so much pressure off of it, and it just allows you to enjoy it more um, and to give more as well. Agreed. Well, speaking of agreement, uh, let's move on to our next topic. Solid. Um, Solid segue. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> the the fundamental rule of all improv. Uh, Caleb, would you like to introduce this for us? Sure. Yeah. This is uh, one that most people, even with little improv experience, have heard about, and that is yes and. I mean, it's pretty simple, but like all things improv, there's some depth to it. So first, we'll just talk about the the yes of yes and. When you're up there with your fellow players or we're recording a podcast, one of the biggest things that can sometimes be hard to remember is when that other person creates something in the world, that is the new reality. A good example from from that book that we've talked about, uh, Truth in Comedy, there's an example somewhere in there where, you know, there's a scene going on and somebody's like, oh, I, I really hope that those pizzas get delivered. And then the delivery guy walks in, you know, miming what you think are pizzas. And they say, hey, uh, I've got the manhole covers that you ordered. And that wasn't what everybody was expecting, but that's the new reality now. And saying yes and to that is agreeing with what's just been gifted to you. And then adding something to it, hopefully. And those are the building blocks that make up improv. Yeah, and I think a great example of this is uh, Master Brickathon of when he was uh, remembering, like, uh, again, spoilers, (laughs) uh, in... uh, the tension builders when he's remembering this uh, how to defeat the monster and uh, Ned as the GM was describing how the monster is made Caleb as the actor was like it was the flowers the flowers you know that, that hadn't <laughs> been introduced I don't think Ned was going there with that I mean I could be wrong um, it, it could have been scripted but I'm pretty confident it wasn't and that was just the new reality of like flowers flowers were how this monster came to be and that was the new reality and that was crucial to defeating the monster there that was one of my favorite moments because you know i i master brickathon scoops the sludge off of oleg and ned then says one of the holes in your memory fills and i was in my own brain i was like i got nothing like nothing (laughs) is here but i faked it and just said oleg i remember and I had no idea what I remembered, but then we kept going and we actually just recorded. So that was the end of the, that episode. And then immediately we went into recording the next episode because we do that sometimes because we've got busy schedules and we all can't get together every single week. And and we kept going. And I just I didn't know what it was that I had remembered. And then Ned and I had this moment of shared storytelling where he would say one thing and then I would say yes and to that and add a little bit. And then he would add a little bit and I'd add a little bit. And that was one of my favorite moments in all of this podcast for me, just because going from absolutely not knowing to gradually building this thing where eventually I was on the same brainwave as Ned was where he said something that was in my mind before I said it. I think it was when he said that it was from these flowers that I had created the beast and it was with the flowers that I could defeat it. And I I just remember doing like a fist pump in the air because that's exactly where I was going to go next. And he beat me to it. Yeah. And there's definitely power in the back and forth, like kind of the, the best visual example that I've heard for what yes and is like is you're building a house together. You've brought a bunch of bricks and you brought some mortar. Person number one sets down a brick and puts some mortar on top of it. And the brick represents saying yes, and the mortar represents saying and. 
So you remembered something. I put down a brick and put the mortar on top of it. And then Caleb comes in with his brick and says, yes, I did remember something, puts down the brick and puts the mortar on top. We'll go to my old thinking place. And together you're laying the foundation for the other person to build something up. That's a really good analogy. And just being in that moment of back and forth, that's how you kind of create the magic of improv. The moments that people are like, are you sure this isn't scripted? Um, it's hard to describe. It's just this connection that we have as humans that improv is so great at bringing to the forefront. And something I'm just thinking about as we talk, it's not necessarily the case that all of our listeners play tabletop RPGs, but they at least have an interest in them. And uh, really, um, improv is just kind of a tabletop RPG where everyone gets to be the DM. Um, <laughs> and everyone who plays a tabletop RPG has experience with this without realizing it when the DM says, uh, hey, you see this, this happens, this dragon does this, the room looks like this. Uh, your reaction is never to go, well, no, it doesn't. And if it is, uh, you might want to take a look at how you play your tabletop RPGs because that's not a very uh, <laughs> it's not a very productive way to play. Your DM is not going to be very happy having you as part of the group. Yeah, but most of the time, ninety nine point nine percent, hopefully, your reaction is just, yeah, okay, that's what happens. And here's what I'm going to do about that. I'm going to go into the room. I'm going to talk to this person. Yeah, that is what the room looks like. And I'm going to go uh, see what's on this bookshelf or whatever. It's, it's a little bit of a stretch, but it's a very similar muscle that uh, if any of you are tabletop RPG players that want to get involved in improv, you've already been flexing these muscles probably without realizing it. Yeah, really good point. And kind of to that idea of everybody gets a chance to kind of be the DM at some point. Uh, Evan, you wanted to talk about giving gifts. Um, let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. So one of my favorite things um, and one of the kind of the hardest things for me to learn um, when I first did improv was the idea that you get to just control the other people to a certain extent, what their characters are, what they've been through. And yeah, it, we just generally refer to it as giving gifts and you can give gifts of any kind, but the most valuable gifts in an improv scene are about the other person. So you can give a gift about yourself, which um, in a traditional like D&D setting is probably the best thing to do. But in an improv scene, that doesn't actually give the other person as much to work with as telling them something about themselves, which is kind of awkward at first in a way because uh you really have to have trust in other people that what they're going to give you is good and especially in recording this podcast it was hard to uh, the reason i wanted to talk about this is just because it was such a weird thing to do in a tabletop rpg setting was getting the opportunity to assume something about someone else's character because in DD, you know Everyone's written their own backstories. They know what their character does. They know how their character acts. You don't You don't touch that. But here, um, one of the first times it came up was in uh, Fallout Back when uh, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I just uh, said to JP like, oh, well, back, you know, a few miles back, you did this. And I was just like, yeah, your character did that now. Yeah, I was I was hoping to bring up that example. You know, JP's talking about how he wants to set a good example as a father for his sons. And you're like, well, were you setting a good example for them when you ran away from the noise back there? Yeah. Right. And that wasn't something that JP had thought about his character. But to his eternal credit, JP being a brilliant improviser was like, oh, yeah, that's that's who my character is. Yeah, it's a weird muscle to flex here. But uh, for anyone looking to get an improv, it's such an invaluable muscle. And uh, it's something that I still to this day feel like I struggle with so much. Um, we would do these exercises and stuff where all you could do, you could never say anything about yourself. You could only tell the other person things about them. 
And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that reflects on me a little bit, but I found it, those exercises very difficult. Um, it's, it's a hard thing to do and it's a weird, it's a weird way of thinking about a creative process. Um, because lots of creative processes are either solo where you're controlling everything, or if they're collaborative, you all control your own pieces. But improv is really, we're all sharing the toys here. Yeah. When like kind of on the surface, when you think of the idea of telling somebody else something about their character, there is kind of a bit of a recoil, especially if you're coming from, you know, a TTRPG tradition where you come up with very detailed backstories and whatnot. But in the improv tradition, it's one of the best things you can do. We call it giving somebody a gift because it takes the mental strain off of them. I don't have to try and figure out what my character is doing because somebody else has just told me what it is. Yeah. And you take that and run with it. And this principle, uh, Keith Johnstone, a great improv teacher, called this endowment. The idea of an endowment is, you know, if you endow something or someone, you are giving power and ability and strength to that thing. So by telling somebody something about their character they maybe didn't know, you are making their job easier. I'd like to jump in a little bit, too. It doesn't have to be like a physical attribute or anything like that, although it can be. Uh, once again, going back to JP and Fallout back, when Bingo Dingo reveals that he's not Australian, there was a great one where he says, so wait, are you telling me those tattoos that you have aren't even real? And I had never, <laughs> I'd never mentioned any tattoos on Bingo Dingo. That was just a beautiful gift that he gave me. And then just saying yes and to that, no, they're, they're fake. They're the, you know, they're the fake kind. And that was just a really great gift. So, so that's a physical one, but also... I wasn't originally planning to have Bingo Dingo not be Australian. It just so happened that through some really bad roles, <laughs> I just wasn't doing so well. And then Evan and JP's characters also gave the gift of like, man, this guy's a little shady. He, he seems a bit insecure with himself. Maybe he's not who he says he is. And that's where that idea came from. Okay, like, yes, and I've been endowed with this gift. And that's where the reveal came from. It was the next logical place to go. Yeah, and just to build on that, like, the gift doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to be a backstory-like sentence that you have to give to your teammates there. But it could just be a simple reaction. Like, somebody could whisper, you know, something to you. And, like, you can react very scared as a result of it, you know? Like, oh, and then you're giving that person, oh, they're a afraid of my character that is endowing me with a sort of authority or position of power and so therefore i can run with that like exactly what you said caleb you know like them doubting you you were like oh this is wonderful that means maybe i am a fraud that's a wonderful gift to how they are reacting to my random roles here but it's just another way of incorporating that into the story and and saying yes and and that sort of endowment yeah. And Thomas, your topic that you wanted to talk about was kind of more broadly speaking, this idea that everything is a gift, uh, the power of shared creation. And if we look at that example of Bingo Dingo with the tattoos, it was something that was so spur of the moment, but it became a greater part of the story as Bingo Dingo was trying to find acceptance in kind of this strange family unit suddenly Dave and Buster are drawing fake tattoos on their arms because they want to be like Bingo Dingo. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like everything, I don't know if this is more advanced or if this is more just like a, a concept that doesn't get talked about a lot or uh, brought to the forefront of improv because people might be trying to be funny or focusing on the really the yes and, but uh, just building on top of this yes and and endowment is that every single thing in the scene is a gift to everybody. 
the easiest example of this is when at the beginning of every campaign, there is an ideation, which an ideation, I think, is something rather unique to our personal experiences of what we did from our college days, where you share real life experiences and then you, you, you have a pool of information, you have a pool of like ideas to pull from and to build on top of that. That way you have some sort of foundation to move forward with. But yeah, everything being a gift of like people's reactions, these fake tattoos to further uh, emphasize the status of Bingo Dingo and to further emphasize um, the influence Bingo Dingo has over uh, these kids in the outback here. Like everything is just a beautiful gift if you allow it to be and if you really try to just accept what your teammates are giving you. Yeah, every idea that comes from any of your teammates is the best idea in the world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's an exercise that we used to do. Called, I think it's just more of a warm-up exercise, but it was called a advertising company or... The ad game. The ad game. That's what it is. Thank you. But yeah, it was just like... And the whole point of it is you have to like come up with eight things collectively as a group. The eight things you have to come up with are set, meaning you have to come up with like somebody who's going to sponsor it. What's the ad? How is it going to be packaged? So on and so forth. But regardless of what anybody says, even if it's something really basic, like, oh, we're going to package it in a box. That's not really creative, maybe, or that's not really unique, but it is the most amazing idea in the entire world. Therefore, we are going to run with it. We're going to do amazing stuff with it. Everybody's cheering, clapping their hands, like as it, as if you're in a really intense like board meeting about this product that you're gonna ship out. Absolutely, and you know what? It's it's so again, just as a listener, it's so apparent that everybody on Improv Tabletop thus far has been using that idea of every single thing, no matter how small, no matter how minuscule it is. Of like, oh, this is just a throwaway comment I'm giving. Of like, it, it, no, like it's gonna be latched onto by somebody else because they're going to they're going to have an idea where to go with that and so every single thing uh, can be a gift in an improv scene and it's just it's just an amazing experience to see something that Evan's character says of like oh, maybe he's not maybe he's not on the up and up you know or maybe he's like a fraud to just turn into this left turn through this creative experience um, and it just goes back to thinking that every single word every single reaction every single environment setting is a gift to everybody I think sometimes the gift that you're going to package the item in a box is a really underrated gift, you know, and it's something that scares people out of doing improv is if they're playing that game and they throw out the box, you know, they want their instinct is to beat themselves up because like you said, like, oh, was that creative enough? That was that was kind of a basic gift. But like, what better thing to build off of? There's so much we can do with that now. That's such a wonderful gift. We now have, you know, Ned's brick and mortar thing. Yes, it is a box. And all these boxes are made out of stainless steel shipping costs are going to be enormous like there's so much you can do with that and our product is a giraffe right like there's, <laughs> there's so much to work with there and so like i don't know if we're, like if the purpose of this discussion is to help try and encourage people to get into improv don't be afraid of giving the gift that it's a box don't be afraid of giving a gift that's basic because you know that's that's what you need that's everything you need sometimes the most basic things are just the foundation you build off of to make something great yeah and you shouldn't try to be funny right you just need to be true to that situation you know you just have to be true to your character and you'll be surprised when bob ross puts down a base coat of white paint i don't think he ever was like that wasn't creative enough i don't there's nothing to work with <laughs> failure. <here."> failure <laughs> you know to this to this point of you know having those doubts of was this good was this the right thing to do one of my favorite things that it talks about 
about in Truth and Comedy is this idea that if you're in a group of supportive players, then nothing is a mistake. There and there are a couple examples that particularly come to mind for me from Jurassic Bake Off. Um, that being our first campaign, we were we were a little bit rusty. Uh, we can admit. And there are definitely moments I look back at that. And so I've already talked about, you know, chopping off Dave's arm as the moderate consequence. <laughs> great choice. Absolute great choice. Well, yeah, in the moment, I was thinking that was the wrong choice. That was totally inappropriate. <laughs> I've ruined the entire story. But, you know, to their eternal credit, Caleb, JP and Evan took that and they ran with it. And they used it as a vehicle to realize maybe this isn't what we want. And, you know, JP turns into a velociraptor and Dave <laughs> gives up baking and starts well, his own uh, his own fighting school. And Trex goes and just lives on an island off the coast of Maine. <laughs> and none of that would have happened. We, we wouldn't have gotten these really unique, satisfying conclusions for these characters if we hadn't chopped off Dave's arm. Um, the other particular example that comes to mind is uh, something that was very informative for the character of Timmy Tommy Tutum and also for Trex early on when, you know, his name, I, I can't remember myself now whether his name was originally Timmy or whether it was Tommy, <laughs> but Trex came in, called him by the wrong name, and we kind of joked about it. And Trex was like, oh, my, my memory isn't the greatest. And that became such a core part of Trex's identity yeah. that there were these gaps in his memory because Professor Fortinbras was doing all these weird experiments on him, it turns out. And we wouldn't have gotten that without this idea of it's not a mistake. It's just a truth and we need to run with it. I was talking with Ned about that um, <laughs> where we were like, man, gaps in your memory seem to be a common character thing. Um, <laughs> but it was planned with Brickathon from the beginning. But with Trex, it just, you know, came naturally from the dialogue in the scene. And those are two different ways of coming at a character. You can come top down or bottom up. And I think it's really cool. And I think just broadly speaking, the idea of shared creation, like, again, I don't want to be like tooting the improv tabletop horn. Oh, we're the best. We're the best. But I think something we have that's kind of unique among actual play shows is how much creative potential each individual person has. Like when we bring new people onto the show, um, like when we brought in Christian and McKenna and with future people who are coming in as well, I tell them, don't worry about ruining my plans with your ideas because I don't have any plans. I'm making this up as I go along as well. So some great examples, like one thing that Evan specifically mentioned to me uh, after we'd finished recording an episode of The Tension Builders, um, when Pilfer goes down to the waterfront and he's talking to the staff members there and he's building up his ship. Uh, can you want to kind of explain your process there? Yeah, no, I just I, I thought my thought process was basically, you know, we're Legos. Something that is fun to bring into a Lego world is that they're builders. You know, we've all seen the movies. It's one of the fun things is that they can just grab pieces, huck them up in the air and something amazing pops out and so i wanted to do that and so i was like well i need pieces you know so like if i'm building a pirate ship i would need wood and D, &D instincts kicked in and i wanted to say ned is there any wood on this beach is there any maybe like dock or somewhere where there are boats but in an improv setting you're trying to you just keep things moving and you know while you're the game master in an improv setting, we all can do whatever we want to your world. Um, Which is so great. Yeah, it's great. Um, it broke my brain. And that was just the first time when <laughs> I kind of just was like, uh, I'm going to keep things moving and not going to ask. And I was like, Ned, I'm just going to go down to where the dock is, grab the wood from the boats and like uh, the overhang, like where they provide shade and just 
tear it all down and rebuild it into a pirate ship. And it legitimately, after like years of ingraining a certain behavior, it terrified me. I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> um, but then it was great. And it turned into one of my favorite moments of any of our campaigns so far, which was the battle of the boats on the lake. So it was a beautiful moment. It was amazing getting that legendary attack as well. Yeah. Like that's, that's one thing I love so much about what we've kind of ended up with here is, you know, if you need something, it's there. Of course, there's a row of boats that I can build stuff with. Of course, there's a bugle at the bric brac troops campsite that I can blow to get their attention. Of course, John Paisley has a gun that he's been carrying around the entire time without telling anybody. You know, there have been so many times where I've kind of looked at this format here and I'm like, how are we the first ones who are doing this? How, how is it possible that nobody has stolen this really awesome idea before? It's, it's just such a great way to play and to get everybody's creative potential out into the air. Well, and I think, honestly, a lot of the success of each campaign does go back to uh, having a strong foundation, which uh, if I can toot his horn a little bit, Ned has a really strong grasp, not only of being a good uh, game master and really embodying all of these aspects of yes and shared creation, everything is a gift, you know, but... But also having the foresight of finding a tabletop system itself that actually lends itself to this creativity. I mean, Fate Accelerated has this amazing idea of like creating these aspects that anybody can draw upon. There, that that's shared creativity right there. That that's everything is a gift, you know, and everybody being able to call on those and being able to use them against the enemies, like that forces everybody to use the gifts that uh, your teammates have given and that the game master has given you as well. Uh, so I think it really, I mean, props to Ned for, for setting just an amazing foundation to allow every single cast member to build on top of that um, and making, I think, his job a lot easier. But um, I, I don't <laughs> think the success would be of each campaign would be anywhere without Ned. Going along with that, uh, Ned doesn't get his praises sung nearly enough. Oh, boy. Guys, <laughs> this is... I, my brain, my brain breaks every time I see how Ned takes all of these disparate pieces, like pieces that have been gathered up by a bricklicant, and turns them into something even more beautiful than Alvin. He, he manages to take all of the gifts given and pay attention to them and turn something weird into something beautiful. And we're all a part of that. But, like, Ned's ability to do that just blows my mind. He's so good at it. And it doesn't seem like it's a lot of work when he does it, but it's a lot of work. And he's really good at it. So what we're really saying is you really should be DMing Ned for uh, future campaigns that you want to do. And, uh, you know, uh, he's he has a Venmo that he can accept some payments for. And... That's right. Well, uh, you know, one of these days we're going to one of these days we're going to start a Patreon. We'll see. Uh, hey, Ned, uh, I just wanted to say you're you're fine oh thank you i mean i've had better yeah i mean obviously you know i'm i'm, I'm gonna deflect here because uh I, i'm grateful for all of your comments uh but like the stories that we're putting together here it sounds super chintzy but i could not make them without the players when I look back on some of my most satisfying moments as the GM of Improv Tabletop, let's look at the example of some of my favorite NPCs. Gentry, Dave and Buster, Alvin. These characters would not have existed if, you know, Evan didn't just turn to his manservant and say, hey, set up my tent for me. 
Or if Christian didn't walk into a room full of Lego minifig pieces and say, I'm going to be Victor Frankenstein today. Um, <laughs> but because you guys did that, these NPCs are brought into existence. And sure, I'm the one who gives them the voice, but they exist because of you guys. And I just get such a kick out of that. It's just, a, this is just a really unique uh, process. And I, I feel like <clears throat> I would encourage uh, other people who maybe. Uh, one of the things about improv is that it can seem kind of hard to try because, you know, where do you have a group to join or classes to take? Some people don't live in bigger cities where those are offered. Um, and if there's anything I hope that comes out of this podcast, I hope more people maybe take this and try it themselves. Yeah. as like an experiment because it's such a great opportunity to do something creative with friends. And uh, I just hope we're showing them how fun it is. And because, yeah, you can try and incorporate some of this into D&D or other RPGs. Um, but like... Like I said, you can't tell someone too much about their character in D&D because they've got it all figured out. You might be able to throw out something about like a travel. You know, if your DM just kind of skips four days of travel, you might be able to throw out a little something that happened on that travel. And that's great. Um, but it, you still can't give you still can't mess around too much in that. And, and like I love D&D. Don't get me wrong. It's just a different experience. So, um, I mean, I just hope people, if they're here listening to this podcast, don't think it's something that they can't do themselves, you know? Yeah, one of my big hopes with creating this show in the first place is to lower the barrier of entry. Um, we all know how awesome it is to be playing these tabletop RPGs, but a new person looking at something like D&D, they're like, oh, maybe I'll give this a try. Wait, the, the player's handbook is how many pages? Oh, wait, and then <laughs> if I want to be the dungeon master, I need to get two other books yeah and you know if you watch something like you watch something like thomas is doing as the dm for i cast fireball it can be easy to look at that and be like this is this is going to take a lot of work i really hope that one of the examples that improv tabletop can set is you can sit down with literally nothing prepared and have an awesome time with your friends that's what this is all about it's about doing stuff you love with people you love at at the end of the day you know, as much as I enjoy the other logistics of being a podcaster, that's what it's all about. I'm having a great time with my friends. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just to build on what Evan was saying and Ned was saying, and uh, it, it really just all it takes is a couple of people in a room uh, who trust each other enough to just give these gifts and to have, have a fun time. You know, like that's really all it takes is um, if you wanted to get in depth into it, you can you can study the basics of improv and you can go deeper and talk about endowment and, you know, ideations and things like that. But if you've got yes and and if you've got trust with people that you care about or that you that you love, it's going to be a great time regardless. And, you know, that's a that's why we're doing it. That's why we're making this podcast for you guys hopefully you can you know get some inspiration from this ah that seems like a pretty good place for us to wrap up probably we could go on for hours talking about improv really though we have we really have <laughs> we can talk about story structure once Ooh. upon a time we can talk about every day man next fifth wednesday we gotta bring up story structure man that's so that's such a fun thing oh uh, dude i could talk about story structure every single day oh, oh man, yeah i love Anyway, mm -hmm. that's my bread and jam. <laughs> Dude, you guys you guys should read the Upright Citizens Brigade uh, comedy improvisations manual sometime because they're all about story structure. I will. <laughs> Same here.
Well, I guess I, I guess while we're here, uh, why not why not let's do a round of plugs? <laughs> so we we've talked about like the first and foremost the thing I would like to plug is the book Truth and Comedy by Sharna Halpern, Del Close, and Kim Howard Johnson. Here, here. It is our improv bible. It is so foundational to the way we do things here, and it's a short book. It's not very long. If you want to get into improv, pick up that book. Um, but there are plenty of other great books as well. Um, like we talked about Keith Johnstone a little bit with the idea of endowment. He's another very foundational improv instructor. Check out Impro. Uh, check out Impro for Storytellers. If you want to learn about story structure, check out uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade Improv Comedy Manual. And you know how much we love Evil Hat Productions, the guys who create Fate. Uh, they published a book by Karen Twelves called Improv for Gamers. Um, if you want just a nice little kind of charcuterie board of improv techniques and activities you can try to maybe improve your improv around the table, give that a look. Plenty of great improv sources out there. Go give them a look. Caleb, you got anything you want to plug? Yeah, um, I think you guys have heard about this before from me, but uh, my wife is making a lot of soap over here um, for real, and it's amazing soap. Go check it out bookloversoaps.com but in the podcast world I recently discovered a podcast made by uh, a good friend of mine his name is Dr. John Tanas and he's made a podcast called A Hat Tip for Hands uh, where he just finds people that he knows or sometimes that he has just heard about uh, here in the Olympia Washington area and he interviews them and it's beautiful um, I just recently discovered it and started listening to it, and it's just a really good, uplifting time. Um, if you need some of that in your life, go uh, give him a follow. A Hat Tip for Hands by Dr. John Tanas. He's a really cool guy. Clean your body with soap, clean your soul with good storytelling. That's right. <laughs> Evan, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, first off, I want to say we have two bars of that soap in our bathroom right now, and uh, it smells heavenly. That's that's number one. <laughs> Secondly, um, to kind of double down on uh, how foundational truth and comedy is, um, if you did a test where you went through all your favorite comedians or comedic actors and saw how many had spent some part of their career at Second City, I think you would be astounded, uh, all our lovely listeners, at how many of your favorite comedians have, have hit that theater at some point. And that book, Truth and Comedy, is basically the curriculum of Second City. So it really is uh, rules of improv that have been imbued in almost every famous comedian of like the last 20 years. Um, but beyond that, I uh, don't have as much to plug. I guess since this is the episode where we peel back the curtain a little bit, I uh, started my performance art bit because I don't do as interesting things as everyone else on the podcast. So uh, <laughs> I don't have anything to plug here. One of my favorite bits, though. <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll have something next time I'm featured on a campaign. I, I, I go on performance art hiatus when I'm not uh, performing on the podcast. Well, we, we look forward to your next performance art. Piece. I've been anxiously trying to follow them, but your Google Drives and your private accounts just make it so, so difficult. I will find them. I will find them one day. I know. It's elusive. <laughs> oh, man. Thomas, you got anything you want to plug? Oh, well, as Ned uh, said earlier, I have my own podcast that Ned is also a guest star on, uh, a regular, if you will. It's called I Cast Fireball. It's an actual play D&D &D 5e adventure where we go through the campaign Tyranny of Dragons. 
Uh, and it's been a ton of fun. We're about nine episodes in and we, uh, nine or 10, whenever this episode drops at the very least. And there's some interesting stuff going on in there. And we, it's a lot of fun. I, if, if I don't say so myself and I, I get a wonderful opportunity to sit in the DM chair myself and, um, be able to endow my players with their own, uh, gifts from the backstories they gave me. Uh, so go ahead and give us a listen over there. Uh, I cast fireball. Uh, but to build on that, my wife, because she is also not as nerdy as me, but still kind of a nerd. Uh, she has a jewelry making business. Uh, she has it on an Etsy shop and she's got an Instagram for Be Wired Jewelry. That's Be Wired. Uh, so the letter B Wired and the jewelry. And she does some amazing work there. And uh, a lot of it is uh, fairly non-traditional. It's more like uh, either artistic or antique like. And a lot of she's had a lot of requests where um, she's made D&D jewelry for uh, people's characters as well. Uh, just so they can have them when they go to like uh, either conventions or to uh, when they're just playing their home game and uh, it's some good stuff and you should go check out her store as well and we will have links to all of these stores up on our website uh, a real website that does exist as opposed to all of my stupid fake websites um, <laughs> but yeah you know keep uh, keep watching this feed for more Thomas Brower content because he's uh, he's going to be here one of these days in one of our formal campaigns one of these days <laughs> and uh, and to back up his blog of iCast Fireball if you like Ned on this podcast you'll love Ned on iCast Fireball he is uh, it's true yeah I, I will say that as well I mean you come for Ned and uh, you stay for Ned as well <laughs> <laughs> it's a really fun time well I'm going to deflect once more by thanking you <laughs> I, I am going to deflect once more by thanking you all for joining us here in this very special bonus episode of Improv Tabletop uh learn improv it's great it's gonna change your life i'm ned wilcock your host and gm and today i've been joined by caleb anderton a guy who loves good stories with good friends uh evan peterson i'm just lucky to be here thomas brower the guy who can talk about story structure all day <laughs> much love and stuff we'll catch you next week on improv tabletop mm-hmm.